Hello, my name is Amanda, and I would like to welcome you to our podcast, Inequality Talks. This podcast is produced by volunteers in Mellemfolket Sammenvirke Aarhus in the Economic Inequalities Group. We will analyze and discuss a specific topic that relates to economic inequality and equality, and we would like to investigate economic inequality and how we fight it. In this podcast, we will be discussing universal basic income, also known as UBI. And UBI is generally defined as the idea of giving everyone a regular monthly cash grant to cover basic living expenses. So UBI is a cash grant and not a service. It will be given individually rather than to a household. It will be unconditional, meaning that you receive it without any demands and that it's universal, which means it will be for everybody. And lastly, it will be a regular cash grant and not a one-time grant. So when we talk about UBI, this is our point of start, but there are many partial variations. And when we go into the details of UBI, there are a lot of things that gets really complicated. And this is what we will be discussing today. We will talk about four aspects and it will be finance, politics, environment, and inequalities. But before we get to this discussion, I would like to introduce the two other speakers in the room. Adam, would you like to begin? Oh, uh, I'm Adam. My interest in UBI comes from a little bit more of an academic background. I studied a bit of political economy and ideology, mostly through the lens of literature. So I come at it from that angle, but I'm interested in it in a practical sense. So how it can help people now and in the long term, how it might, combined with other things, lead to positive societal changes. The way I view it is I divide it up into three different areas. I think there's a moral argument for it in that it can help people. I think there's a strategic argument, and that's the long-term idea that it might lead to positive changes. And there's a tactical argument, which is that right now there's a lot of focus on it as a policy. There's potentially a lot of support. So it's easier to get through, potentially. But my support for it is very heavily conditional. It depends on how we implement UBI, that, and that totally transforms it from a good policy to a terrible policy. And Sebastian, would you introduce yourself and your point of view? So I'm Sebastian, and I'm probably going to give a rather pessimistic and negative view of UBI. If I must be honest, um, I would personally very much enjoy uh, to receive a UBI, to receive, let's say, 1,000 euro a month on my bank account without having to worry about what I should do in order to get that money. And I know a lot of friends who would also very much like that. But as much as UBI uh, has been kind of a dream since I was a teenager, a lot of uh, writers and thinkers that I respect and that inspire me uh, have very critical views. And I will try to reflect those views about how UBI can actually be very much a trap and today very much uh, a distraction from other more important issues. Awesome. So for now, we will begin by discussing financing and redistribution. Starting the discussion off, like the basic fact is that it is possible to finance UBI, uh, but it's very, very complicated how, and that can lead to many different ways of viewing UBI. What are you guys' vision on how to finance UBI? As you said, um, there are many, many possibilities to finance UBI and there are various plans around the world or people advocating for UBI in very different ways. Some of these ways can be very worrying. I think we're not going to talk today about all the things that 
plan to erase every other social right um, because that's not what we envision. But even the one that uh, plan to have a UBI that is goes along with free healthcare, free education, and other social rights, there are quite some worrying aspects of uh, how it is to be financed and implemented. A lot of them come from the idea that uh, if you give everyone a UBI, you will save some money from bureaucracy and from other social programs like uh, pension and employment and the like of it. This actually creates some other questions. Like, uh, for instance, the fact that uh, a pensionist or someone that is going on, on unemployment uh, might have for the pension something that is much higher than UBI. And if it's replaced by UBI, then it might put them in a really, really worse place than what they would have now. And that's not everyone that is planning like that. There are a lot of schemes that are very different, but this is something to keep in mind. And another thing is this idea of saving money from reducing bureaucracy is a very neoliberal trend. Uh, it means uh, actually firing um, um, government workers and putting them on UBI, people who actually had like a really good job and felt useful to society. It can be discussed, um, the usefulness of uh, people who check an unemployment and... Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's where I jump in, is that that really depends like what kind of unemployment system you're in. Because I don't think in the instance of the UK, for instance, people are going to, to miss that. I'm totally agreed with you. If, if it makes people worse off, then it's not a good policy. You don't want to replace healthcare. You don't want to replace all that kind of stuff with, with private profit-driven things because they've proven to be really, really bad at providing social goods. I mean, look at the US where they spend huge amounts on healthcare and it's, it's a, have the worst health outcomes. But I do think that the, there are positive things to be said to some extent with removing elements of bureaucracy and also that in a lot of countries they're already privatizing the unemployment system. If you're in the unemployment system too long, you get farmed off to some privatized company. So there's also the question there if that's not already the trajectory we're on and what's worse or better. And I also, because even if you strip away the bureaucracy, that's not going to pay for everything, right? Um, if you strip, strip away unemployment. And there's a lot of interesting policies on how you would pay for it. There's different kind of progressive taxation. There's the idea of a wealth tax, which we desperately need. It'll be pretty difficult to, to implement, but with the inequality of wealth skyrocketing, that's hugely useful. There's the socialization of certain industries, potentially, with automation being, instead of being privatized, being socialized. There's the idea of treating the public as shareholders in certain public goods. So, for instance, that um, a lot of basic research is publicly funded, right? It's taxpayer money, but the profits end up going to private corporations. There's things like pollution tax and land tax, which I think would be very beneficial. Obviously, you do, you know, th this is where the redistributive element comes in. This is the key question. How it is financed relates to all the other questions we're going to talk about now, the political questions, the environmental questions, the other social questions. Um, there's a lot of feasibility studies on it. There's the, the World Economic Forum one that will be in the liner notes for this podcast, probably. Um, but the, these, these measures of, of how you pay for it could be help with other social inequalities in and of themselves. Yeah, um, I mean, as much as I would love um, any government in the world taking very, very strong 
measure to tax the rich to finance a program such as UBI. Mm. Very often, I think it's not so much included in the discussion or the complexities that that would bring in terms of uh, actually people escaping tax and loopholes and all these very, very complicated measures that you need to uh, get around if you want to tax the rich. So mm. I'm afraid that it's something that is very simple to say mm. and very complicated to do. We employ all the people who, who get fired from the unemployment yeah. industry into the tax avoidance industry, <laughs> which they've been doing tons of cuts in that. That's weirdly, they're, they're very anti-bureaucracy when it comes to, to you know, tax auditing. Yeah, we can all agree that the redistributive and financial element is really important in how UBI would work. Okay, so thank you for those answers. That was really interesting. And that leads us to the next part of our discussion, which will be politics and works. So the big question is, like, the bottom level, will people work if they get a UBI? I mean, yeah, I mean, this this is often used as an argument against it, but there's study after study showing that people will work. Yeah. Like, we, again, we'll include a bunch of links. They've done studies yeah. in Finland. This book, um, Utopia for Realists, I highly recommend it, has all kinds of feasibility studies. This was even used way, way, way back. There was, yeah. I think it was the 1800s. There was one in the UK mm. that was in a place called Spenum Land, which was a very proto-UBI thing. And there was this report that came out that later influenced all kinds of people. This, there was this idea that oh, there was immorality and people wouldn't work and people would be lazy, but it was totally fabricated. People will work. Try, sit, try sitting down for like an hour and doing nothing. Look at what happened during the coronavirus. People were desperate to do something. They might not do really low paid jobs that put their lives at risk and that are terrible and no f But that's kind of the point, right? Yeah, so I think maybe the actual question would then be like, how would it change the way people work? One of the reasons I'm in favor of this is because with more automation, I think certain amounts of work, certain kinds of work will go away. And we have to have a policy that deals with that and potentially gives us a way to socialize automation. But I also think there will, there will always still be work. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of the sort of left-wing thinkers that I look at support this, because it, it allows the workers to have more power on the labor market, right? You can, if you're not forced to work in these jobs, you have greater bargaining power. And there's, there's positive things like a shorter working week that can get in there, better working conditions, the right, you know, to demand certain aspects of jobs. I'll come back just a little bit on what you said and I'll come to your question because I think that um, it's actually also a philosophical issue. Is it something, and a very political one, is it something that we want and is it something that is useful for us? Like it's, it might seem very desirable to be like free to work the way we want to do. And probably people will do a, a bunch of useful activities for society. But it's also very dangerous. For some people, it will be true. Mm. But um, this flexibility that you describe is something that, is all, that will also, in my view, inevitably profit corporations. Mm. That they can use this new flexibility mm to actually destroy all the workers right that we have today. And that uh, like this, to have like a huge expansion of this stuff that people call gig economy, mm. that is actually going back to the 19th century when people had to work like specific tasks and were just paid for the specific little tasks they do. And I can see that as a, a huge possibility for corporation yeah. to say that people, they have this money and they can just like work a few tasks 
yeah. and be paid just for those. And I come back to your question about how people would work. It's very much uh, how do you give people the ability to be uh, useful for society? Mm-hmm. And how do you recognize them for that? So UBI recognizes you as a person mm-hmm. that has the right to exist and to have money for that. But it doesn't really recognize you as a producer that is useful to society according to something that you do specifically. So UBI, for me, is good because maybe it will get people out of poverty and out of the stress of being really poor. But it doesn't mean any structural change. So like it's still the same big corporation that will own all the means to invest. Like some people will have the ability to like do little DIY projects that are very inventive, but like the massive production will not change. Mm. Uh, it will still be in the, in the hand of corporation and banks and things like that. And then this, this trends toward neoliberalism and individual responsibility, mm. that it comes over to you, like we give you this 1,000 euro or this like basic income, and then from that on, it's your responsibility to have a good life. Mm. It's not a social and democratic responsibility that we organize society together it's just no you have it and you need to like build your life in a good way otherwise it's your fault if it's a, a mess that's probably a very pessimistic view of what the ubi would lead to like the individualization and like the neoliberalist way of thinking but maybe it could also create a lot more social mobility and i also know we've talked about like how it could ease people's lives and give them more security would you like mm. to elaborate on that adam there's a couple of areas to respond to there. One is let's not underemphasize how big of a difference this can make for people who are currently suffering, right? Yes, it's not going to necessarily on its own create this huge structural change. It's not going to end capitalism, as Anna once mentioned, but um, but that's not necessarily the point on its own. I think it's unfair to put all those that emphasis on it, and it will help people. The stresses of being in poverty, of having to worry about like where your next meal comes from, they have huge psychological consequences, right? It's it, it's a huge psychological pressure. Also, inequality itself creates all kinds of health inequalities. Uh, the spirit level, that's a really good book about that. But I think we should also emphasize it's really important that it helps those people as well. And the, the freelance thing, the gig economy, yes, it's mm. terrifying how this has been rebranded, something that was the most exploitative work practice. You know, when people were arguing, I don't want to work 18 hours, I want to work eight hours a day, has been reversed. But when people do have that basic income, I do think it's important to note that the, the power of, of labor organization, the power of the, the right to withdraw your labor, because that's basically all you have when you're a worker. The, the way things are presented is that it's this equal negotiation between the employer and the employee, which it isn't, because the employer has way more power. They can always employ someone else, the employee needs to eat. And this gives a little bit more power to, to the employee in that scenario and potentially frees up time for social organization, for volunteer, for volunteering, that kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of the same way of people wanting a moneyless society. Uh, and money um, is actually something that uh, embodies social violence, mm. which means like that in the exchanges that we have that are sometimes unfair, they are mediated to this object that is money. And that allows us to like make it something physical and that we can talk about instead of having this social violence that is invisible. And it's the same, I would say, with work and being paid for the work you do. Mm. Uh, that if you uh, get free money, and we can see today 
with like unemployment or social programs mm. that when people are paid for doing nothing with very heavy quotation marks, um, if people are paid for doing nothing, there's a lot of uh, social violence that comes towards it that is not uh, something that we can regulate easily. While the fact of everyone having to work or to do an activity that is uh, productive for society is something that we can regulate, is something that we can have a political impact on. We can decide which work is uh, valuable, we can just decide for which kind of work people get a salary or not. So that is something that we can work with to kind of um, limit the social violence that can go wild uh, when it's invisible. So for me, that's something that is already important. And that's also somehow the very socialist or communist motto, like from each according to what they can and to each according to what they need. Mm -hmm. I, and I do worry about that thing, the, the, how it's going to be used politically. But again, as you say, all the welfare systems are being used politically. My biggest fear is that in, in how this is implemented is that if you have people, for instance, it's only citizens of the country, they get UBI and then you have an immigrant class that doesn't get UBI and has to do all the terrible jobs. I really fear that division. And there's all kinds of social divisions you can build up. But I do also think it's important to note that, that like work won't go away right, doing this, but people can have more say in what kind of work gets valued because they choose what kind of work they do and they can refuse the other kinds kinds of work is, is the fundamental idea. I think also an important point in this subject is that actually there are studies that have shown that in different programs that has been like cash grants to people. I think there's in Alaska, actually, they have like a dividends fund where everyone gets a cash grant each year. And the people who receive this, they actually become more positive towards actually giving a universal basic income and taxing more and redistributing it in the society. So actually UBI could be a way to like change a normative attitude towards like wealth and redistribution, I think. That's a really important point that like maybe it would not end capitalism, but maybe it can like generate some really, really useful things of like people changing their attitude slowly towards this subject. Yeah, because to build it, you do need a you need a political base of support, and so the, like, the hope would be that yeah. that you like by giving it to enough people, they'd see the benefit, and because it's spread out enough, it's not that the poor get this, and it's policy only for poor people who have no political power. So the rich or middle classes or whatever it is have absolutely no interest in it. It would benefit more people, and hopefully lead lead to more social integration. Yes, I mean. From what you say for me, and that's, I think we, we, we really veering into politics. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that's also the question of what is the objective of such a measure? Yeah. Is it to uh, reduce or eradicate poverty? Uh, or is it to actually create more equality? Because these are two very different things. You can probably reduce poverty without creating that much equality. For me, the importance is actually, let's be a bit more to have like a maximum income uh, rather than a minimal one, mm. because I think that would uh, create a more just society. And that's why also I think that UBI, it seems so desirable because it brings so much relief to a lot of people and it can make a lot of lives easier. And in that way, I think it can also be a distraction because then the discussion is about is UBI good or bad? Would people work or not? Is it like possible or not? 
But what about trade deals that are passed between countries and that profiting big corporations? What about tax havens? All these policies that are quite complex and left to experts are out of the public debate. And for me, this, these questions are so, so much more important in terms of who has the power to decide the society that we build, because it's those people who have the power to, invite, to invest, who decide the production that we have and the life that we're going to have and the produce that we're going to consume. So all these questions are left out of the debate in order to make space for eradicating poverty, which is good, but it's not my own critical aim. I mean, I think, and I think this gets to that the vision I talked about, the moral, the strategic, and the tactical. And here we're disagreeing about tactics, right? I don't think we're fundamentally disagreeing about what's good or what we want, but it's the question of, okay, how will this affect things? And my hope is, or my thought is, that this will lead into other positive policies. Potentially, it's easier to get through through the question of how you fund it. If you can build a broad coalition of support, then you have a political base for further changes to support UBI, and it's a kind of unifying thing. You then there's space for people to do cultural activities that sort of develop a more integrated society. Hopefully, there's space for people to do more political activism, do more of that kind of stuff. I don't think it necessarily will detract. I don't think people will necessarily focus all their energy on UBI and forget everything. Because normally when you get into debates about this kind of stuff, there's more complexity in there already. Yeah, so I think what we can agree on is that you guys actually quite disagree on what it would lead to. Sebastian, you think that there are other points that would be more important to lead to economic equality. And you think this would actually be a really good means to get to economic yeah. equality. Partially because that, I think, might help us get to those policies. Because I do think other things like collective ownership, socialization, all that kind of stuff, I do think that is very important. And I think it might be, be a stepping stone towards it. Oh, yeah, that's only because, like, I, I think for the, for the same reason, I think that's quite the opposite. Like from mm. the example of, uh, um, like, uh, people getting access to uh, mortgage credit and being mm. able to own their homes, uh, like, actually destroyed a lot of the, like, uh, workers and social struggles hmm. because people were now fearing to lose something that was becoming theirs right. instead of uh, doing rent strikes uh, together. Yeah. Like when you individualize rights so much, then people are starting to worry about themselves. Hmm. And I think for me, the UBI will always come with a threat that if we go too much that way, hmm. they'll take it away. Then I guess there's that thing that, I, I mean, this comes down to politics and there's stuff you just cannot predict historically, but it does come down to that thing that then if UBI is threatened, it's threatening a much larger section of society, right? It's not just like, oh, if, we, if we're if we threatening unemployment benefits, it's only the unemployed. Whereas UBI can make a coalition of the unemployed, the, the, the social worker, the artist, care homework, you know, all the different different elements of society. So it's a broader coalition, a broader base of support, potentially. Hopefully. But that is why like some very leftist thinkers support it, because they see it as the fundamental basis. That shorter working week, automation generally, and, and all of the, the possibility for the negotiation, no longer simply a working class base, which has kind of disappeared into a whole bunch of other things. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know what you call that. Okay, so uh, from discussing work and politics, another quite important subject when we talk about in economic inequality is environment. Do you guys think that UBI would have a positive impact on the environmental subject? 
No. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't think so. Because, as I say, it comes with the same trend of uh, individualist choices. Okay. If, I, if we give to everyone some money, uh, maybe they feel better, they have better uh, mental health, and they can consume better and be more responsible of their choices, of their consumer choices. And it's this kind of uh, idea um, that has a lot of uh, pull right now, that has a lot of pull right now, that of like, be the change that you want for the world. Mm. And that you, every individual, individual has to become the change and has the individual responsibility to be a better person so that the, the planet can be saved. Mm. And yeah. I think that uh, UBI really doesn't address like all the problematic of production at a global level that is actually so, so important. How do we produce? Who we'll decide uh, what we produce? And all the questions are not addressed by such a policy. No, I think we can all agree that maybe they also need a lot bigger like changes to change mm -hmm. the environmental like conflict. But wouldn't there be some small-scale changes that would be possible for UBI? I, don't yeah. I mean, I, I, I do tend to agree that I, I think the environmental issue, even with the like long-term strategic changes of UBI, we don't have time to wait for that. And it is true, yeah, supermarkets define that you can, you know, everything you buy is, is driven there, how it's driven there, what you can buy, how it's produced. That's kind of out of the, the range of individual control. It's bullshit to do it that way. We, we need collective... Things. My hope is there might be smaller, smaller elements um, and long-term elements. You know, maybe shifting if if work becomes a more social, socially rewarded thing. If it becomes less about growth, less about GDP, that kind of focus, that could help in the long term with the transition of the society. There's smaller things like if it's funded through a pollution tax or a tax on the kind of externalities that currently. You know, corporations and huge industries, they make a huge profit by effectively the, making the long-term costs, placing them on, on the public, on the broader world through pollution or what have you. That could help. That could be one small policy that could help now be used to fight um, environmental things. There's the possibility, again, long-term, um, that it could help people experiment with different ways of living. Mm. Um you know, spending more time producing their own food, you know, lowering that level of stress and constant competition, the opportunity maybe for more people to start eco-businesses. And there is the linked challenge of automation. Again, I know I'm bringing that up a lot, but I think that's very important. And how we how we develop that, because if we develop that in a totally privatized context, that's just going to accelerate up the curve. If we do it in a more calm, public, socially, democratically controlled context, then it might be helpful. Um, but I, yeah, I do think there's much, much broader changes that, that, and, and urgent changes that need to be addressed when it comes to the climate crisis. There's some structural things that we really need to. Yeah, and that's where we come back with that. Um, once again, um, having a, a, a debate on UBI um, ignores a lot of other political issues. and. For all this uh, climate change or gender-based inequalities or, or, or like racism in our society and how it affects people and their um, chances to develop the life that they would like to have. All, for all of this, I think uh, actually 
political education of adults is a very important thing to implement. And that actually means that rather than giving people money for what they are, it's actually for me more important to create jobs and recognize that people are doing an important thing for society when they organize political education. Mm. And so for me, it's more important to like create more jobs uh, of the like, of like producing more awareness, producing more knowledge for people, uh, giving them the tools to understand the society that they live in, even when they are adults and they finish their studies and are working. Mm. This is for me a much more important political fight than uh, UBI. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Okay, so that leads us to our last part of our discussion that we talked about, which is inequalities. Would you like to elaborate on that, Adam? Yeah, I mean, and this is linked to what, what Sebastian yeah. has been saying. I mean, I, I do think, I understand his argument, but I also think there's a dangerous element there in the sense that then you can't do anything, you know, you can't do anything on, on this area because that will distract from this other area. Um, and, and I worry a bit about that argument because... I think you can do multiple things at multiple times and you've got to find ways to interlink them. And I guess my question also in regards, I'm, I'm also all about that social political education. Uh, personally, I'm extremely interested in it, but also I think it is very important, like you say. But the question is, how do we do that? Is there any way currently in the political landscape to get that across? Or potentially with UBI, does that free up, again, free up more time, free up people to do it of their own initiative, bottom-up organization? rather than a political movement to do that. And I think that's that's the potential benefit for me. Um, that, I guess, puts a lot of faith in that people will do that. Um, but, you know, that's 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 me, I suppose. Um, as for other social inequalities, yeah, I, I don't think UBI is a silver bullet for everything. I don't think you can expect it to be. As with all of these policies, I think often there's a tendency that we start looking at it, and I've had this in discussions before, and then we'd like lift, list all of the faults, and oh, it'll never work. And then you don't get anywhere with any individual policy because it doesn't address all the other policies. And I guess, you know, maybe we could put together a whole political program. I'm down for that. But there, there, there is the question of the ideological shift, like we've been talking about, if you value people um, on, a, on another grounds rather than the, the merely or solely productive basis which I understand the argument for the productive basis and contribution to society. There's things that historically haven't been valued that potentially could like, you know, social care, traditionally, you know, female quote unquote jobs. Um, so that's, that, that, that's the sort of ideological element. Um, also, if, you, if, if people see that despite getting UBI, people still keep working and keep on doing these social things, there's the potential, you know, to, to, to shift perspective there. In, in, in terms of specific social inequality, I know you mentioned it before, there's stuff like people staying in abusive relationships. Yeah, uh, if, if, if they have the wherewithal to leave those relationships, that's a huge thing. A lot of people stay in them because of the economic situation. And this is one element where it being individualized is very positive because a lot of other welfare packages are family-based. Um, Obviously, in any situation, even with individual things, if you pool your resources, you're going to be better off. But it does give people a, a basis. Um, it's also important to note that a lot of a lot of inequalities, racial, gender, whatever, they they operate through economic inequality, right? Rather than there being a legal discrimination, there's a 
sort of social economic uh, inequality there that, that is the way through which it operates, as we've seen recently in the US when it comes to race and the disproportionate imprisonment and poverty mm. of, uh, of black people. And again, the funding thing is key. You can make it more redistributive. That can be a redistributive thing, but that's that's a question of funding and positioning. Sebastian, what do you think? Do you think it would fight social inequality? Okay, uh, to be honest, um, as I said in the beginning, yeah. I would be happy to have a, a UBI, and I would I, I believe firmly that it would help a lot of people to have better lives. But um, I don't think it would address inequalities as such. Uh, and that's, that's because, um, as I said, like as much as I think it can help people, I also believe that it's not a surprise if today UBI has such uh, a broad audience and such uh, a lot of space in the discussion. It's uh, also because it's not so threatening mm. for people who actually have a lot of power or are very, very rich. It's, it's not a very threatening measure. So I'm talking mostly, of course, about economic inequalities, but I think those are heavily linked with racism or sexism, like patriarchy and imperialism yeah. are very, very linked with, with those. And I don't think that UBI addresses that. And so as, as much as I would really like to have it myself, I think that for me, it's more inspiring to try to look at the historical movement of like workers' rights mm. that are going through towards, if you look from like the end of the 19th century uh, until probably the 80s, 70s, 80s, that are going to have, like reduction of the working week. Mm -hmm. uh, so with a living wage, <laughs> uh, but still having um, more and more free time and also towards collective ownership of the means of production. So um, the ability to, to decide what society we want to live in economically and socially and politically. It's kind of this, this saying from, uh, I think it was in France in 68, May 68, uh, people saying, we don't want a fair share of the pie. We want uh, the world and bakery. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I believe. I, I, I think that it can be a measure that can bring a lot of uh, good. I, I would agree with that. It's just that I also think that's It must come with a lot of other. I think that's why it's supported by a lot of the, the why I support it and why it's supported by a lot of the sort of the, the more yeah, accelerationist thinkers is that it is so tied to a shorter working week. Everywhere I've seen it proposed, it's part of the progress towards a shorter working week, either through policy or through sort of labor market power and to more fair working relations and that kind of stuff. I do agree, obviously, that there's other things like collective ownership, which hopefully we'll get to talk about at some point. From what I've seen, there's also a lot of people in positions of power who really don't like it. Like more and more as the debate goes on and on, I'm seeing more and more, you know, the super wealthy, the, the, the sort of political conservatives that really, really don't like it. Um, so yeah, you have Andrew Yang's, uh, what is it? Human-centered capitalism, but 
a lot of people don't support that, uh, you know, that, that are of, let's say, Andrew Yang's billionaire class. I mean, that's an inadequate policy in, in and of itself, Andrew Yang's, that's another debate. But, but yeah, I, I'm not sure I disagree with you. I just see it as part of a, of a, of a, of a battery of, of policies that we can implement. I think in, in a quote-unquote ideal society, we would have this alongside a shorter working week, alongside all the other factors um, and collective ownership. And I see this as, you've got to start somewhere, right? I would love if we could start with collective ownership. I think maybe this will be a stepping stone towards it by freeing up people again. Um, but that's another political battle. And we're nowhere near that currently. Um, obviously, we have limited energy, but if we can get one thing through and then shift focus rather than working on you know, collective ownership and then shifting focus to this, you know, I think it's about use of resources and energy and, and where we're putting it. I'm not sure we fundamentally disagree, really. It's just that I think this is a good, a good place, a good way in, in a sense. Yeah, and I'm probably just full of fear. Yeah, I mean, me too, uh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, I cling, I cling to hope because there's got to be some, some good policy out there that we can implement. Yeah, so I think we can all agree that it's probably quite a good idea and that it would lead to a lot of good changes, but also that it might not actually be enough and that there are a lot of other political aspects that we really need to mm. take under the loop when we're looking at UBI. Yeah, and I guess that actually summarizes this, this discussion. But also, as this is quite a educational podcast for this Like the purpose of this podcast is educational. So what have you guys learned as we have tried to discuss and educate ourselves about UBI? I would like to close on that. So I think that um, ironically, uh, reading and thinking more about UBI, I came actually to a position uh, which I didn't expect so much to hold any time in my life. Uh, which is that I believe that uh, people should be uh, paid for the work they do and should be <laughs> uh, given the, the opportunity to have a work, uh, a job, and to be paid for it. Um, I think uh, that came from the realization that for me what is important is of course to have money and to be able to live, but also to be recognized for what we do And not just for the fact that we exist. And I think like that's surprisingly what UBI led me to, to realize somehow for myself is that this uh, motto that I said in the beginning, like from each according to what they can and to each according to what they need, mm. imply uh, that people have to contribute to be part of society. Mm. And they should have the, the right to do so, and society should be organized in a way that allows them to contribute. Mm. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm going to make a slightly side point. The wages for household labor, it was a thing in the 70s, a part of the feminist movement, which was fundamentally that, right? Which some people see as kind of a precursor to UBI, because they were demanding mm. wages for household labor mm. as a way of shifting away from a capitalist economy. But through, yeah, okay, you're saying it's all about labor, pay us for our reproductive labor. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the, the, the key things I've learned, UBI isn't really one thing. It's a lot of different proposals masquerading under yeah. one thing. Um, and, and related to that, I guess I'm not I'm not just pro-UBI. It's as we talked about off off mic, Sebastian. Um, you know, 
I'm, I don't think UBI is an end goal in and of itself. I think it's part of a broader coalition of things and it has to be implemented in a certain way to help with certain problems. I don't think if we get UBI, that's it. Like that's, that's all we need. That's the little tweak. I think it's a stepping stone on a, on a much broader transition. And I think you're right about, I, I do think people need to be respected and, and, and be given worth through, through work effectively. It's just a question of how you do that. Um, and I guess my focus currently is, okay, well, we've got all these people that are underemployed and exploited and all that kind of stuff. Let's support them up and maybe then work, work around that through labor market negotiation, that kind of stuff. Um, but I do think it is important not to erode labor rights because they're hugely important. So that will be the end of our discussion, actually. What I've learned from this discussion is that I actually thought of UBI as a really utopian subject and I hadn't really thought about it realistically as an option even. So I think it's been really interesting to think about the economic changes that are actually possible to do in our society. And mm. I think that I always feel a bit trapped in a capitalist loophole sometimes that it's possible to think in other ways. And I think that leads to a lot of really positive outcomes, maybe with UBI, but also a lot of other types of uh, proposals that are possible out there. So. An important point is that we've made a lot of research for this podcast and in our description of the podcast you'll be able to find all of our reading list, all of the books, all of the articles that we're referencing to and also that we're talking about in this podcast. So go check it out if you want to read further about this subject. From now that was the end of our podcast and uh, you should go check out Mellemfrontly Samling in Aarhus on Facebook or Instagram. And you can come down at our cafe from where we are recording mm -hmm. this podcast. Um, and also next time we will actually be discussing collective ownership, which you should really look forward to. Because that is something we've learned is really interesting from trying to educate ourselves with this podcast. So yeah, until next time.